The Long Box Crusade presents monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world needs yet another movie review show. I am Rick, and you guys know me as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. Love them so much. Got this giant collection of movies, so big that people even give me more movies. And then I go off to the Long Box Crusade headquarters and I steal their movies. That's the way I play it. I just, I'm a geek. I love to collect things. That's what I do. Anyways, because I got so many movies, I like to get random people on to talk about movies that I love. And this time, I am excited once again because I got somebody who I am a big fan of. I like their work. I like what they have done on shows like Smash Fiction and, of course, they are the star of Garden Plots with Skeletor, no matter what you hear <laughs> Skeletor say. But I am talking about Kit Mulcairn. Kit, how are you doing? I am fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being patient about me getting on. Oh, t- <laughs> I have a chance to get the great Kit Mulcairn on. Of course, I'm going to wait for whatever time is going to be convenient for you. I mean, I'm a little bit of a cryptid. I'm sorry. You're busy making all these these plans with Skeletor. And so, you know, I, I got to give you a moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, thanks for being understanding. No, that, thank you very much. Um, like I said, you are known for your work on Smash Fiction and on Garden Plots with Skeletor. And I know we're going to probably talk about that a lot at the end when I give you a chance to, to plug those. But let's talk about your love of movies, because that's why you're here. I know with Smash Fiction, you and your fellow co-hosts would go into a lot of films and a lot of movies prior to doing smash fiction did you watch a lot of film did, were you really into a lot of movies you know i i didn't watch that many movies growing up because i kind of have like a weird short attention span i really have to be into what a movie seems like it's going to be about for it to hold my attention for you know the two hours or whatever but dan my husband is super into movies. So I, I really wound up watching things like Star Wars and the Indiana Jones and uh, Back to the Future first with him, believe it or not. You know, and I'm grateful for it. They're all, they were all very fun. That That's the best way to do it is, and it's, especially if your partner enjoys those kinds of films or those kind of media yeah. is... And that's kind of the the thesis of the show even is I've got this thing I really enjoy and I really love. And I think you're going to love it, too. Oh, dear God, I hope you do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh It sounds like you did. (laughs) Mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, besides the... Besides the geek films that you got forced to watch by your husband. <laughs> I'm giving him a hard by, time. It was great. <laughs> and by the rest of the Smash Fiction crowd. Uh-huh. Was there any other films that you loved or, or really enjoyed either growing up or, I don't know, recently? Oh, recently. I mean, growing up, I mean, I, I watched, you know, the Disney Renaissance films. Those are my, my kid movies right there. I feel like I was more of like a television person, though, uh, for the most part. Because, you know, shorter. 30 mm-hmm. minutes or whatever. I would watch some anime films because I, I was very, very weeb back when I was a, a teenager. I am less weeb, more Japanophile these days. But still, believe it or not, there there's a lot of Godzilla films I have actually not seen because that is not how I entered Godzilla. <laughs> the very first Godzilla movie I saw was the not well-loved by most hardcore Godzilla fans, uh, 90s American film. With Matthew Broderick. Yeah. So, little 
Kit loved it, though, because little Kit was already, you know, super into animals at that time, too. But then that got me started on reading, like, the children's Godzilla novels, and there was Godzilla comic books, but I didn't really have access to the real Toho films. So that, that kind of, like, came later. Weird, I know. I'm, 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 like, kind of known for being a huge Godzilla fan. Like the rest of fandom, however you approach fandom, however you get into fandom, it's perfectly reasonable. You're a big Godzilla fan. You are still consuming the Godzilla canon, as it were. There is nothing wrong with that at all. That's the way that you're getting into it and that you're enjoying it. You love it, and that's all that matters. And that's that's the exciting thing about what I like to see in fandom is just somebody jumping in from wherever they're coming at it with and saying, I like this thing, and I'm going to eventually get through all of it. Just give me time. Give me time. Well, I want to go ahead and move slightly. I, I'm not going to give you a Godzilla film because... Mm-hmm just wasn't prepared for that but i did find something <laughs> i thought you would like from the list that you gave me are you ready for me to tell you what it is oh i uh, edge of my seat <laughs> edge of your seat i would like you to watch from 2006 pan's labyrinth oh all right we're going horror yes we are the dark fantasy film written and directed and co-produced by gelmo del toro and it stars Ivan, and I'm going to destroy these names. I apologize right now. Ivana Baquero, Sergei Lopez, Maribel Verdu, Doug Jones, and Ariana Gill. Whew. Okay. Uh, <laughs> probably better than some of the other ones I've done. But what do you know about this film? So I don't know the specifics, but I know it has a sad ending. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, and I'm glad I know that. I, I think it'll allow me to take it better. I don't love unhappy endings but i'm ready and you know i love guillermo del toro's work i like his like horror style so yeah hyped and also i just love uh things that aren't in english i really love other languages i'm with you on that too i have no problem at all sitting down and watching a good subtitled film done that multiple times in the past i've done that Mm -hmm. with my wife watching just certain Korean films, of course, with those, I like to mm-hmm. lean over and say, all right, what exactly did they say there? So <laughs> just trying to get some of that. But uh-huh. why haven't you seen Pan's Labyrinth before? It's like I said, short attention span. <laughs> I don't always like go out of my way to go see movies in movie theaters unless, you know, until Dan came into my life and insisted. <laughs> so I do it for him. And it's one of those things where you just don't get around to it. But uh, then you have like, you know, shows like this where, oh, look, I have a very good excuse to watch a movie I wanted to see anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's another good good excuse for this show is uh, giving people a good excuse to seeing really good films. And I think that this is a good film. And I think that you are going to enjoy it just knowing a little bit about what you've liked from our conversation here and also what I've heard you talk about on Smash Fiction. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to go too much further into this because it's time for you to sit down and watch from 2006. Pan's Labyrinth, and we're going to listen to the trailer from the same film. See you on the other side. Cuentos de hadas. Ya eres muy mayor para llenarte la cabeza con tantas zarandajas. Vamos. He visto nada. Capitán, su mujer no debió haber viajado en un estado tan avanzado de embarazo. Necesita reposo absoluto. No me importa lo que necesite o lo que cueste. Cúrala.
Nada, un montón de piedras muy viejas que han estado siempre ahí. Antes incluso que el molino. Mejor que ni te acerques. Te puedes perder. Gracias. Capitán, mirad. La fiebre está bajando. No sé cómo, pero así es. Su cuerpo está respondiendo. Escúcheme bien. Si tiene que escoger, salve al niño. Ese niño llevará mi nombre. Sálvelo a él. ¿Quién le ha dicho a usted que la criatura es un varón? <risa> no me joda. Before we get to talking about this wonderful film, I want to give those of you an opportunity who have not seen the film to just have a little bit of synopsis, even though I think you should go out and watch it. If you don't, I understand. So here's just a quick synopsis of what this film is about. In 1944, Franco, Spain, we meet a young 10-year-old girl, Ophelia, as she travels with her pregnant mother to join her new stepfather, Captain Vidal. The captain is trying to rout out the Republican rebel holdouts who have been exiled after the Spanish Civil War. The captain is a vain and cold man who is more interested in his unborn son than his new wife or her daughter. Ophelia is fascinated by the local creatures in the ancient ruins. She has found and befriended a fairy and finds an old maze that is truly a labyrinth, at the center of which is a fawn, who identifies her as the reincarnation of a lost princess of the underworld. The fawn starts Ophelia down an adventure where she must complete three tasks in order to return to her world. So, Kit, mm -hmm. this is your first opportunity seeing this film. What was your first impression? Oh, man, it's sad all the way through. I, <laughs> I thought it was going to be a sad ending, but, you know, no, not just the end. Not just the end. No, no. Uh, boy, that guy. Guillermo really likes proud machismo jerks, doesn't he? <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes, I would I would say yes to I mean, that. I guess it's kind of uh, redundant, too. Yeah, just machismo. He really doesn't like machismo. Yeah, as far as painting a bad guy, the Captain Vidal is incredibly bad. There is nothing, nothing really to like or admire about him at all. Yeah. What about meeting your expectations of what you thought going into this film? Like you said, you knew it would be sad, but did you... You were expecting it to be great. Did it kind of meet your expectations or what you'd heard about it? You know, it's hard for me to say. I, it didn't feel great to me, but that might just be because it's 
not quite my thing. It wasn't as much my thing as I thought it might be. I really liked, you know, like I like the practical effects. I like whoever Guillermo hires to design his creatures because I think they're great in like every movie. But it's it's a it's a little it was it was pretty pretty, pretty dark and sad. <laughs> Just not really my jam. No, I, I and I get that. I it had been many years since I watched it, and so going into it myself, I was trying. I knew I liked it but I couldn't remember all the nuts and bolts of how everything worked in it. And as my wife and I sat down to watch it, she's like, this is a little darker and scarier than I remembered. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it, it kind of didn't made that same way too. Yeah. All right, let, let's get into some of the things mm. that you liked and didn't like about the film. I'm, you know, you came out saying it's not exactly the film that you thought it would be and didn't match up with you, but let's, let's kind of take it apart if you don't mind. Sure. Since we've already started talking about Captain Vidal, and he's he's not the main character, but he's the main villain oh, in this boy, film. Yeah. What was your impressions about him as a character? I think I prefer villains that are not one note, that are not like mustache twirling levels of evil, you know? <laughs> and he's he's pretty one note. But yeah. th there is a satisfying end to him. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know how much... Do you like go just go through full spoilers on the show? Oh, yeah. Spoil away. Oh, okay. I, we, we gave uh, people an opportunity to watch the film. If if they haven't seen true. it, it's their own fault. Yeah. Y'all, <laughs> go go watch it. Because I think it's worth watching. But, uh, you know, if you're interested in kind of like wartime sad stuff, but magical realism. So that's cool. You were mentioning his his death scene. Yes. So he gets cornered by the... Oh, gosh. What, what are they? Uh, what would you call them? What's that group? They're gorillas. They are known as the Spanish right. Maquis. They're the uh, gorillas that, are left, that were left over and exiled after the Spanish Civil War. Right. They're kind of... I guess you could think of them as like a revolutionary yeah. group, kind yeah. of. Yeah. They, they basically eventually corner him as he exits the labyrinth. And he's holding his son... He knows he has no choice against them. The group is so large. So he just hands over his son and he begins to proudly ask them. They tell his son his name and what time he died and blah, blah, blah. And, and the main woman that you really come to to like of the of the gorilla group, she's like, he will not even know your name. Yeah. And, then, and then, yeah. So it's like he, he dies and he doesn't even get the proud thing that he yeah. wanted. He was yeah. so obsessed with his son the whole movie, like... And didn't give a, a dang, a ding dang about the woman carrying his child. Right. Um, so it, it's that part's really satisfying, at least. There was the the through line of them talking about his father and his father being this great general and being very yeah. respective. And it seemed like he was trying to out surpass his father. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, there's the machismo, the, you know, the, the old school ideals of what makes a man and how you can make your mark upon the world. And yes, he wants to make sure that his line is continued and it will continue with you, them telling about his name and waiting to kill him until after he gets to hear <laughs> that line. Like, no, <laughs> yep. no, no. No, that's not going to happen. This is yeah. this is done. Your line ends here. We will raise <laughs> him as a good person that will right. not know anything about you except maybe being part of the terror that has caused us pain. But you will not be related to him. Yeah. Right. Right. The main gorilla woman, her name is uh, Mercedes, right? Yes, Mercedes. Y yes. She's great. She actually is able to get away with sneaking a lot of things to the rest of her group because he doesn't respect women. He doesn't even think that a woman could be like 
doing that under his nose, you know? He, he, he doesn't respect women. He don't, doesn't respect the Maquis, the, the, the gorillas, the revolutionary fighters. Mm-hmm. He doesn't respect the people of the town. Mercedes plays his housekeeper. He mm-hmm. recognizes in her that she is the most efficient and most respected one. She He knows that he tells her something, she gets it done. And because she has put up this veneer of being so at his beck and call and being right. so efficient with her work that yeah he he gives her the respect which is exactly what she needs to get things done but yeah mm-hmm. it's it's not taking anything away from him and his you know machismo atmosphere or machismo style and 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 belittling women but he thinks everybody's beneath him <laughs> <laughs> this is true i mean it 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 goes beyond just women he he, he yeah. has Unless somebody is at the same level, rank, or style, or or classification, they are beneath his notice. Yep. You can tell he really enjoys being Capitan. Yes, he does. No. Let's talk a little bit about Mercedes. And she was played by... Well, at, before we go on away from Captain, I think we should say that the actor, Sergei Lopez, does a fantastic job of being oh, yeah. despicable. Oh, man, yeah. I have a lot of respect for actors and actresses when they embody a character that you so despise but you know that they are doing it's because of how they are acting and how they're performing the best thing i can say is right now we're looking at i don't know if you're watching it all but the winter soldier and falcon oh yeah oh yeah we're watching (laughs) and 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 the guy who's playing the new captain america oh my gosh he is incredible because yeah he just comes on and he is so despised but that's because he is such a good actor. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Talk about your your villains that are not one note. Yes. I love what they've been doing with John Walker. Yes. He like has depth. He he had to like think about things before he went and like did the wrong thing, honestly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm not yeah. gonna spoil that show. But it's it that's a good show. That's a good villain. Yes. I think that there is some some limitations that could be made for trying to layer out a villain in a film like this where there's so much that's that's being done that just painting a one-dimensional villain is okay i don't i don't know you know i i think guillermo likes to make these fairy tale feeling stories and fairy tales don't often have like depth to their villain and like you're supposed to have this this evil force right and i think that that works for guillermo's style it's not like my favorite but i didn't like i didn't hate it you know i got it just like i don't hate the sad i just not my thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's move on and talk a little bit about Mercedes since you brought sure. her up. And she's played by Maribel Verdu. And once again, I, I I don't speak Spanish. I my my pronunciation's all over the place. So if oh, I'm mispronouncing these names, I apologize to everybody listening. But Mercedes, like we said, she's Videl's housekeeper and she's compassionate revolutionary. You said you liked her a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean she's made to be very likable. You're, you're she's kind of the uh, adult protagonist yeah you know the mother for ophelia is not is not present even when she's before she passes away but she's not really present because of her condition and because of of the delicacy of her pregnancy and it falls a lot on mercedes to step in and become the surrogate parent for ophelia but she's also is like you said she's got layers because she is also a revolutionary herself she's mm-hmm. protecting those gorillas who are in the forest she's trying to work with them she is trying to balance the the needs of this occupying force with the need, her own needs as well and trying to make sure that it doesn't become off balance mm-hmm. what did you think about the conversation that she had halfway through where they're meeting in the caves 
and they're talking about, well, we have to kill Captain Vidal, and she's trying to caution them. If you do that, then they will bring in somebody else who mm. may be worse or maybe more unpredictable than he is. I don't know. That feels a little like the devil you know, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's always a gamble. I don't know that I, I agree with, like, let's not kill mm-hmm. this guy. You know, I, if anything, it could send a message to give up this area. But I mean, I feel like that whole conversation was was probably happening. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I I kind of lived by the unfortunate concept of the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. I stayed at a job I shouldn't have stayed at for way too long, for that reason. So I don't know. I I think y'all pivot whenever pivot, just pivot. Sometimes you need that pivot. Get out of there. Yeah. Sometimes the change is is not bad. Maybe the change is very good. Yeah. Well, Mercedes had a few chances to to change the story, to change how the ending would occur. And she made choices that right or wrong, maybe saved lives, maybe endangered lives, because she had a chance to kill Captain Vidal. And instead of killing him, she just incapacitated him in order to escape. Yes. Yes. It, would that be would that have been one of the moments that you would have Oh I was screaming at that. I was like, <laughs> why did you just kill him? <laughs> I was too. I was too. But at the same time, I was trying to justify it in my own head, saying that she is not a murderer. She is somebody who is mm. helping those that that are doing this kind of thing. She has her own morality code. And she may also, like you said, have been stuck in that devil, you know, scenario. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get rid of him, but I'm going to emasculate him and escape. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can keep on poking him, but he will be less of a man for it. Yeah. Oh, one of the things I really loved about the movie is like, to, you know, toward like the, the second half, getting close to the, the last third, the the tension is really ramping up. Mm-hmm. Like all those scenes were very like, oh, gosh. And, and then when she's like walking out, trying to escape uh, nonchalantly after she uh, basically half jokers him. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just like, oh, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. And yeah, of course she gets noticed, but yeah, very, very good tension in those moments. Yes, very much so. We have really kind of stayed in the realism side of this Mm -hmm. film. And I think that as we get into the real main character of the film, Ophelia, we probably are going to really open up this dark fantasy side now. So Mm -hmm. Ophelia, played by Ivana Baquero. What about her performance? What about her character? What did you think? I thought she was good. I mean, <laughs> the character made choices where I was like, what are you doing? Grapes? You're going to risk your life for grapes? Everyone's fifth favorite fruit? Why? Why Why not something better? Get, get some of that meat. There was some good looking stuff on that table. Anyway, <laughs> actor wise, I think she I think she was wonderful. It's a good fairy tale, and she was, I think, a realistic protagonist of that fairy tale. Right down to the making weird choices, honestly. That's kind of how fairy tales are. Being put in those situations, being tempted by the fairy food, making the right choices. I I can't help but think back to Neil Gaiman's, he's got his rules in a fairy tale. If you find yourself in a fairy tale, follow these rules. Uh And it's like, you know, one of those rules, do not eat the food that's placed in front of you. We know (laughs) these rules, but Mm -hmm. we aren't living in the spot and we aren't the characters. And so that's kind of the bravo for Guillermo del Toro to put us in a perfect horror movie scenario where we're screaming at the scenes. Don't look yeah. behind that door. Right. Don't run away from the house. Don't eat that fruit. We aren't living in there. We aren't 
being impressed upon by the forces within the movie itself. And so it's trying to put ourselves into this 10 year old child who, you know, doesn't really grasp <laughs> our, our view of the world right. and who is just stumbling through her own fantasy fairy tale on her own. Mm -hmm. What about the overarching story? How were you feeling as the story progressed about the plot element that she was the princess? Did you believe it? Did you believe the story that she was going down mm. the path? Or did you think this is a trap and she's being used for some other purposes? You know, I think Guillermo does a very good job of making that ambiguous, especially at the sad ending. <laughs> because I, I needed to be less sad. I choose to believe it was all real, including the she sees herself finally getting to be the princess, like mm -hmm. as she's dying. Hopefully... She's in that fairy space, still alive or something. I don't know. Uh, but I, I think you are supposed to feel like it could have gone either way. Mm -hmm. That's the part of the movie I think I like the most is the questioning, especially the first time through where you're questioning, is this real? Is this not? And, and, and is this fawn that she's interacting with, is this a good fawn or a bad fawn? Is this fawn doing these things for her benefit or for his benefit? And you don't know because... You know nothing about the fawn. You just know mm -hmm. the story that she has read, and you know her own instincts about what she feels is right, mm -hmm. and you want her to succeed. Yeah, I th I think my husband Dan is not so sure about this, but I think the magic stuff that happens in that movie is real and really happening. What I can't be 100% certain on is the, did she just hallucinate that she is getting to live her happy fairy tale life as she's dying, or... Does, does she actually get spirited away? I, yeah, I, I don't know. Dan, like, Dan is of the opinion that, like, maybe she was hallucinating the whole thing. Because we see that Capitan does not see the fawn mm -hmm. at the end of the movie, when she's clearly talking to him. Right. and But, of course, he but can't, because there's a lot of reasons why he can't. He's, right. He is not magical. He is very much real. Right. He's not going to believe, because he's very much in this world. Uh, he doesn't have the child's eyesight, if we want to bring that into it. Mm -hmm. The one clue that I would say that it's real, mm -hmm. or the one the one fact I would say, is that she escapes from a locked room using the chalk. Right, that was my main thing, where it's like, that seems like that's actual, that's the, that's the magical realism yeah. right there. Now, you know, you could say, well, maybe that was the excuse that we're being shown, but maybe the reality mm -hmm. is, is that Mercedes had slipped her a key that we didn't see. Sure. Yeah, that escape is 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 one factor. The other factor mm -hmm. is is that nothing that the fawn really said was a lie. At right. the end, it was her own sacrifice saying, I will sacrifice myself instead of my brother. And Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The 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 cynic in me says she is better off being away from this world any way you look at it, because this world is mm. horrible. And yeah. from what we know of history, the Spanish guerrillas, they don't end up doing well. I mean, they, they eventually get wiped out. So even if she's part of this group, it's going to be pain, suffering, dirty, sadness. It's, it's going to be never ending against people that she doesn't like too much. So she is escaping a really bad world for a really good one, whether it's fantasy or whether it's 
other ways. So it, it uh-huh. it's sad, but at the same time, it's also a bit of a release. And I want it to be a happier ending than a sad ending, and it's very sad ending. <laughs> it's very sad. Very sad. It's like the only good thing about the ending is that Capitan gets a very well-deserved death. <laughs> and and for the, the child is brought into a group that's going to protect and love it. Right, but you did just say that group's not just right, so that, great. No, 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 the group's, the group's not going to survive. But until <laughs> that happens, until that happens, the kid's going to have people that care for yeah. him, care for him, care for him much more than the captain does. And yes. I, I still think that a life with a gorilla group that is destined to be wiped out is better than a life with this captain. <laughs> uh, y- yeah. So yeah. I, I will take the successes any which way that they are. And, you know, we can hope that the gorilla group disbands. Not all of them are, like, killed. Like, maybe they just have to break up at some maybe point. They have to break can... up. Maybe they escape. They all escape. They're all of half healing. Yeah, they're, they're all fine. fine. They're all fine. <laughs> We cannot go too much farther in unless we talk about Doug Jones, because he plays the fawn. He plays the pale man. And he is, we never see his face, but we hear his voice and we get to see his physical performance. We hear his voice because I believe he's dubbed over by an actual Spanish speaker. Oh, you are correct. You are correct. You got, yes. He, he his, does do the mouth movements. He does do the mouth movements. Dan yeah. tells me that he learned the the like script phonetically so he could do the mouth movements correctly. But like, yeah, they were going to trust his ability to sound like a native Spanish speaker. That's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. What, what what did you think, though, about Doug Jones as the fawn, as the he's pale man? He's always great. He's always great. And he's like the guy in all of Guillermo's like monster movies, right? Yeah. He's like the one who wears this, all the suits. Uh, yeah. And I just love Guillermo's like commitment to practical effects so much. It always looks so beautiful. And even if there's like a little bit of a of a muppetiness to practical effects, I still think it always looks better than dated CGI. Yes. Yes. I, I would agree with you on this. Let's talk about the fawn per- first, because mm-hmm. I think we've talked about it a little bit. There's a point at the beginning where you first meet the fawn. You're like, oh, yes, here is a nice magical creature. But then <laughs> when did you start to think, mm, maybe he's actually evil? Um, I don't know that I ever thought he was evil. I just thought he was a little bit mean to the princess. I was like, is this your princess? Why are you yelling at her? If, you know, the ending is to to be believed, where we see her finally get to go to the Magic Kingdom, and that the decision she made to not use her brother's blood was the right one, then, you know, the fawn was like, ah, that was a test, you know? Mm-hmm. If that's true, then that's fine. But if that's not true, he's just mean. <laughs> <laughs> He gave her all the tools. He told her yeah. what to do. Yes, his little fairies were trying to trick her into using the wrong lock at one time. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I mean... I I figured they were just wrong. Yeah. I, and that wasn't a trick, but I don't know. The, the fairies may have been kind of also turned around by the magic in there. But the once again, it's that, that hint that, yes, she really is the princess because... Mm. Even with their help, she's, she knows what the right answer is. Right, right. No, I, this is the right answer. But then that's followed immediately by, oh, it's going to be okay if I eat one grape. Look, she got two of them fairies killed because of them grapes. I can totally understand him being mad at that part. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know how expensive fairies are? <laughs> you you, you got to grow them. You got to feed them. <laughs> and let me tell you, let me tell you the names. Names. Oh, man. You can't all be Peas Bottom. All right? Come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I do like the fairies have like a stick insect form. That's yes. also nice. I I love when fairies are like more insectile than human in settings, mm-hmm. but I just because I love bugs. Well, it, it's a nice kind of twist on the fairy tale because here's the fairy here's the fairy in its true form it's very bug-like and the girl's like no you're supposed to look like this (laughs) oh you want me to look like that okay here i go i look like that (laughs) not my true form but i'll look like this for you it's okay it's cool yeah and once again that's kind of the 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 trickery and the glam of the fairies as well yeah since we're talking about grapes and fairies dying let's talk about (laughs) the pale man yeah i (laughs) I hands. I hands McGee. <laughs> what did you think about that monster? Oh, he's a great monster. Yeah, everything about him was great. I, I too wish to decorate my walls with me doing terrible things like devouring children. What an aesthetic. Have, what have a you choice. talked to Dan about this? Because uh, I have not. I'm just going to do it and hope that I think forgiveness is easier than permission. Y'all need to record that because I, that is quality <laughs> content. Dan comes home. Um, what's the matter? Don't you like my changes? <laughs> I, you know, I think I'm I'm kind of into like harmless pranks and I would love to decorate the guest room with things like that and just not tell anyone until people come up to stay. The Pale Man is frightening, horrific, and yeah. just one of those things that's even worse because I don't know about you, but my own personal feelings of this little child who has done really well against some other monsters and other horrible things. Mm-hmm. I just want to protect her. I'm like, oh, dear, do not go in there. That is bad. That's horrible. Do the thing and get out fast because that is frightening. That is frightening. Yeah, yeah really good creature design. Um, his like his his skin folds yeah. seem to insinuate that he used to eat children a lot more often and has since become very thin. And you just get this sense that like, oh, he hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very hungry. All this food on the table and none of it really appetite. None of it's really what he likes. Mm. He likes other food. Yeah. Yeah, he is absolutely horrific looking. He's terrible. There's another creature design in here and that's the giant toad. Oh, yeah. That was a weird scene. <laughs> <laughs> the giant toad uh, who's got the key. Yes, the key that's inside of him, and the only way to get out is to feed him some magic stones. First of all, I know you like bugs. Would you crawl into a dirty, <laughs> tunnel, dark tunnel filled with bugs, mud, and grossness that you don't know? Uh, look, on behalf of a of a fawn, I love bugs, but I do not appreciate when they are on me without my permission. <laughs> um, and it seems like that was happening. <laughs> Quite a bit. They all look like um, they look like isopods, like little sow bugs, little roly poly esque mm-hmm. things that were all up in that place. But they were big. They were like oh, I don't know the size of your palm, which is cool. <laughs> but not when there's a bunch of them. And I I know I'm as much as I'm like an animal person. I'm not a get dirty outdoorsy type person. <laughs> so now I would not appreciate the mud. And I think I tell the fawn to uh, you know uh, take a long walk off a short pier. <laughs> I think. As far as the big set pieces and big scenes, was there anything that you just absolutely hated about this film that that just yep. Hit, <laughs> yep. hit us with it? I hated the blue light filter. It was so lazy as like a way to indicate nighttime. Mm-hmm. It looked so fake. I would often forget that it was supposed to be night. Like it just wasn't working after a while, especially when the camera panned up to the bright sky. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> Adjust that. But that was really the main thing I didn't like. Okay. All right. That, that's yeah. perfectly fine. You know, come on. You've you got all this other wonderful effects. 
Why can't you get this yeah. one right? You know, come on, yeah. let's make it happen. <laughs> what about things that, that you really loved? What are some of the scenes that you absolutely loved in this film? A thing I really loved was some of the soldiers had these really weird hats. Did you notice them? They were like the... <laughs> They were the weirdest shaped hats. They looked like something out of Star Wars. Like okay. they were so ludicrous. Okay. I I cannot describe what I cannot begin to describe what they look like. I will try to find a picture. We'll try, we must try to find a picture and then post it with the with the episode. When this episode goes out, we will follow it up with tweets of pictures of the hats God, of Pan's Labyrinth, and we will have people <laughs> talk about them and comment on them because apparently they were a thing. I'm going to have to go back through and look at this myself because I was not looking at it satorally speaking, as our good friend Hub would say. <laughs> but I'm going to have to take, check this out a little bit closer now. All right. Seriously, Star Wars hats. All right, Star Wars hats. <laughs> I, I wanted to know the purpose of, of these hats, but like nothing in the movie ever indicated it. So that was haunting me, but also I was just very enchanted. <laughs> Anything else besides Star Wars hats? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like like, like I said, I, the fairy tale stuff was cool. I love Guillermo's effects, but I, I just maybe not... Not for me beyond that. A little too sad. A little too sad. Just a little too sad. All right. I I think we've gone through a lot of the different parts of the film. Before we get to the grading, I just want one more time. Is there anything that that we haven't had a chance to talk about that you want to comment on or, or discuss a little bit further? Just me, me being the pedantic animal person saying, why do bugs in everything have to like communicate like with little chirps and stuff? Because most bugs don't make sounds. I mean, I know why. That's just me wanting to put it out there. They don't. They don't make you sound. I think. I think it's for the same reason that our cats talk to us. <laughs> the cats don't need to make those noises. They make the noises because we. They yes. know we will react to it, and so I think it's yes. a lot of the same thing. It's. It's for the audience. It's for the audience, <laughs> and it's yeah. it's for yeah, it's for the audience. It's so that uh-huh. we know that this is occurring. It's really hard on a visual medium to you know show that people are doing some kind of communication in something other than verbal or audio, because as much as we try, this just doesn't go through audio or visual media very well. And that was me touching my head and trying to do thinking thoughts at Kit. So I don't know until we can come up with a better way. I did hear it. He said a swear. I did. (laughs) Until we find a better way of doing it, it, it's crickets. Crickets got a cricket and chirp and birds got a chirp. And that's the cat's got a knock. Every rat that you see in an alley, squeak, squeak, squeak. You You know, they got to do it. Got to do it. We aren't there when they like, you know, lean up against the wall, take out their cigarette and like, so, do you see what Marvin did last week? I know. Can you believe it? You know, we, we, don't, we don't get to see that. We, it's squeak, squeak, squeak for us. Yes. Uh, I will sneak an animal facts in here. Uh, Madagascar hissing roaches are the only insects that can make noise by expelling air. Everything else is just rubbing, various body part rubbing, like crickets rub their wings. But hissers actually hiss. They hiss with air. And we will put in the and the more you know sound right here because (laughs) Kit, once again, coming out with animal facts. They have got to come out with an animal fact. It's what they do. Right, Kit? This is your (laughs) brand. This is your brand. Whether you like it or not. (laughs) You just learned about a cockroach. We like it. We like it a lot. (laughs) All right. You're talking about cockroaches. That's fine. (laughs) But I got to tell you, I, I am not too fond of cockroaches in my bags of popcorn. I just find it gross. Nah. It don't work for me. 
Same. So let, let's just go ahead and say that the cockroaches are not in the popcorn. We have full bags of popcorn that we could give to this film. Let's go ahead and do this now. How many full bags of popcorn would you give Pan's Labyrinth? One to five. One being the lowest, five being the highest. Um, I would give it a three. Okay. It might be it might be more than that, but I don't want to give it less than that just because it's not my thing. I think it is a good movie. Good. Good. I yeah. that is perfectly acceptable. I can I can see that. This is a very strong four for me personally. I mm-hmm. really also like the effects. I really like the originality of the story. I don't mind a sad movie. I kind of like sad movies from time to time. They, uh, they they bring a tear to my eye and they make me think a lot. And I think that this one's a yeah, good thinker yeah. type of a movie. I, I think that there are some easy shortcuts he does make in this film. But at the same time, I think it's it holds up very well. Like I said, it's been for me, it's been many years since I've watched it. I was very glad to rewatch it. I was very glad to revisit this. And it reminded me how much I like his work. So uh, yeah. four for me, three for you, both respectable. These are our choices. But I would like to give our listeners some more choices if they want to hear Kit talk about animals some more or <laughs> to talk about plants some more. Kit, where can the wonderful people on the internets find you? So I play a, a teenager who is helping Skeletor make a gardening podcast on a podcast called Garden Plots. I like the pun a lot. <laughs> um, it's a kind of a, a maybe a little bit He-Man slice of life comedy found family audio drama. It's not really a drama, though. It's it's really fun. Um, the writers do an incredible job. I, I highly recommend it. I'm really happy to be part of it. It is a wonderful, wonderful show. It's got some great voice work by Kit by Kit's husband, Dan, by all of the cast of friends and family that you guys have on that show. And yeah, and some and some famous people that I don't know how Bob worked their magic to get <laughs> some famous people. They got some good people on that show. Yeah, not me. That's okay. But you also have <laughs> that was a that was a dig. That was a dig. I almost got a spit, <laughs> almost got a spit take there. Uh, but yep. but that's not the only show that you're known for. Can, do you also want to plug your work on the wonderful Smash Fiction? Oh, yeah. Smash Fiction is no longer being made. I think we had a slightly over four-year run, but uh, all the episodes are still up. I think we're planning on keeping those up for many years, and we are still dropping things on that feed, but they're different things. Things like every Christmas time, we do Cagemas, where we (laughs) we still pit like four to five Nicolas Cage characters against one another. I love that time of year. I love Nicolas Cage. We also are now putting out a silly, sexy, not really sexy podcast <laughs> called Hard Choices, where we rank the sleepability sleepability <laughs> of uh, characters from different universes. The first one we have, I think the only one up there at the moment is the Lord of the Rings one. Which came out really good. It's really fun. It, this is not uh, family friendly, but let me tell you, <laughs> as long as you're comfortable with the language and subject material, you got to check it out. Smash Fiction is a lot of fun, taking a lot of different properties and playing that age old game that all of us geeks and nerds love of who would win in a fight between X and Y if they were in Z situation. And oh, thank you for explaining my thing way better than <laughs> I ever have. I, I have explained it to many people before because I was like, you got to listen to this show. It's great. <laughs> Oh, so sweet. No, and then if they wanted to uh, find you on Twitter, or do you care about people talking to you on Twitter? 
<laughs> if you if you dare, uh, <laughs> you can find me uh, on at Dread Cthulhu. I'm not going to spell it. You must you must you must be worthy. <laughs> no, I just spell it, and and you may talk to me. Dread Cthulhu. Well, you can find me on Twitter at mmuckabout, <laughs> and well, I'm going to go ahead and take Kit's thunder there and say you got to learn uh, how to spell mmuckabout as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or you can find me on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my co-host, Jeff, who has, on occasion, been confused with the Pale Man. It happens. It happens. <laughs> if you would like to be on the show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com. Thank you very much to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this wonderful attic of their headquarters to broadcast this show. It's awesome. And also thank you to the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you would like to support the network, head on over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have for this week. Grab the popcorn, pull up a seat. We'll be back real soon with another episode. Do not grab the grapes. <laughs> oh, love it. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. 